0: Kuna murder! What a wonderful phrase. I guess it means don't turn your back on your salty bitch brother, or he'll throw you into a ravine. It's that time again as we delve into the Disney vault and talk about one of the most devastating deaths in movie history, as we look at the Lion King. I'm Tom, this is Jake. Long live the King! And this
1: is First to Die. It's a big one right now. We're talking about one of the biggest films of our childhood.
0: It is, and I've not got only four words for you, Jake.
1: Why? Four words.
0: Grown-up, sexy Simba.
1: Oh, yeah. Grown-up, sexy Simba. He's got
0: one hell of a Bambi glow-up in him. And he comes back with his beautiful mane, singing. At one his, point... bon,
1: his Bon Jovi mane. That's yeah, right.
0: I, mean, I was re-watching it earlier. He sings his hair dry at one point. Does
1: he really? So he's yeah. a magical Simba as well. Yeah, he's,
0: he's a magical lion with beautiful hair and the voice of Matthew Broderick.
1: I must admit on this rewatch, I was not in love with Matthew Broderick's voice.
0: I was not either.
1: It It's okay. It it's is fine. okay. It's quite... Young ish sounding his delivery's a little off anyway, <laughs> let's go into this in a little bit, but of course we're talking about the Lion King <laughs> it's going to be another animated edition of First to Die, which our previous, as you mentioned, was Bambi, equally as traumatizing, I would say
0: yeah, I think that has the uh, that has the infamy of it, you know everyone thinks of that as a traumatic death, and as we you know realized it's not that traumatic it's a little bit sad, but it's actually that little fucking pigeon bird that's the worst one. Oh my god.
1: Play. Fucking bird.
0: Oh Jesus, the pigeon bird. I think maybe for like our generation it's The Lion King because that's probably the movie that we saw as kids. I saw I saw it at the cinema. I don't know if you were maybe a little bit too young to see it at the cinema but I definitely went to see it and it was awful, this first to die.
1: I don't know whether I saw it at the cinema. I would have been six when The Lion King came out because of course it came out in 1994. Directed by Roger Ailes and Rob Minkoff. I would have been six. I think that's a pretty good age, but I think that would have been like prime. Oh my God. Why is, why have they stopped drawing the adult king lion? What happened? (laughs) You know, I (laughs) would have been very confused, but it's, it's definitely huge part of our childhoods. And that's, that's super exciting to, to look back on just how much of a weird legacy it has. I think anyway,
0: Oh, yeah, it, it definitely has. I, I tell you what, we haven't done a little 30-second summary, but I think that's because we kind of...
1: Who chose I, this one? I, this was you, wasn't it? I think it was me, so it's probably on me. It's on I'm you. Prepared. Well, in that case, oh. <laughs> we need to do a 30-second summary. Now I expect oh, God, this is going to be all of the major characters to be introduced by name. I want oh. to know the complete summary of the plot from, you know, Ah, Savenia all the way through to, oh, you know, at the end. I don't know if that's the end song. What was, what was that? I don't think. Was that just some, some sex notes? I was doing um, The Circle of Life, but in like the, the prologue sense. It was like the lower oh, right. okay. the lower tenor of of The Circle of Life. It's so to be seen. All right, all right, all right. Anyway, I'm going to time you. Are you oh, Jesus. fucking ready?
0: I am. Um, I'm, I'm ready. I was born Three,
1: ready. Three, two one
0: the lion king is a movie mostly around about simba who is a small prince uh, in a kingdom of animals in the savannah and he's made to believe that he kills his father but it's actually his evil brother his stepbrother uncle that does it and then he goes off into the jungle and he makes some friends and then he's encouraged to come back and reclaim his place on the throne and save the savannah and all of his people who are near starvation
1: I was that's making kind of very it. silly faces during the whole. I mean, effect. you
0: were really distracting me. I was trying like, it was like to you were trying to dance.
1: fuck you up. I didn't
0: get all the names of the characters in there. You've got. You've got Mufasa, none of the
1: fucking names of the Mufasa. characters. Mufasa. I got Simba. you got Simba. Mufasa. You made. You, you made. You've got, you've got one. his girlfriend
0: Nala. Okay. And that's. And Scuff.
1: So let's, let's give a little Tony context for those four people Rafiki. who have not seen The Lion King. We have a family pride unit, Simba being the young cub, of course, newborn, he is the heir to the throne. Mufasa, one of the greatest names of a father figure in cinema history, who is the king of the Savannah. His wife, I can't remember her name, but she's kind of cool, mother of Simba. Then, as you said, Nala, another cub, girlfriend. You've forgotten all about Timon and Pumbaa, which is pretty appalling, if I'm honest. I with
0: said him. his friends. He made some friends in the jungle. And Timon Pumba. and Pumbaa. Hey, I tell you what, though.
1: What's their names? Prides of lions. What about Zazu? Usually,
0: usually have one male. Oh yeah. Them. So, ignoring Scar, does that mean Mufasa is Nala's dad?
1: I don't think we're supposed to look that deeply into this film. That means but he's if banging we banging his half sister, if we used. Logic, yes. That's gross. Well, less said there, the better. I was happy to move on to Zazu and talk about um, the wonderful Rowan Atkinson's voice acting work and how Mm -hmm. lovely it was to hear that again. I had flashbacks of Blackadder. I had all sorts going on when I was watching it. It was a lovely nostalgia trip. But anyway. And i tell you what, though. He wasn't the first choice. Well, who was? Well, they went through some of the Pythons. John Cleese. I can see that. I can see, see that. that
0: working. You know who they also went to? Sir Patrick Stewart.
1: Oh, he said no, of course, didn't he? Because no, he was saving himself for Bambi 2. He was saving himself for Bambi 2 to be the prince of, or the king of the forest. Prince of the forest? Well, they're all princes, aren't they? Anyway, let's not go back to fucking Bambi. I can't talk about that stupid film anymore. Let's stick to The Lion King, an animated Disney film with a death that I can get behind. I love it. So we've done our little round. You get
0: behind the death of Mufasa in the King. I get like behind it.
1: the death. I get around, I get behind the concept of us discussing this on our podcast, okay. First to Die, which is about the first character in a film to die. And on this yep. occasion, shock, horror, spoiler alert, it is Mufasa. Mufasa, Mufasa. dies first.
0: and it's just the worst, isn't it? Especially when you're a young kid, you're
1: not used to this. It's a hard sequence to watch, even now. It's a hard sequence.
0: I mean, we haven't even introduced one of the best characters, not only in the movie, but probably in the Disney villain library, which is the camp little salty bitch that is Scar.
1: Okay. If we're going to introduce Scar, I'm going to give you a little anecdote. And it's not really an anecdote. I would say for the last 15 years of my life... On occasion, when somebody finds something difficult or they seem upset about something, I'll often lean over to them and just go, Life's not fair, is it? You do
0: that to me all the time. Exactly.
1: And it's I, I obviously know it's from The Lion King. It's the first words that Scar says in the film whilst he's playing with a mouse, which is his food that's great but I was saying it for years not really putting together that I'd gotten it from The Lion King so I would just lean over and be like life's not fair is it in the most sarcastic kind of deep toned voice to try and make whoever is complaining um, feel as bad as possible and I got that all from Scar so thank you Jeremy Irons who is one of the I can see Scar being your spirit animal well yes yes I think uh, if I had Jeremy Irons voice I would be utterly lavishing everyone in that kind of tone of delivery, Shakespearean, as it were.
0: Oh, no, he's great, though, isn't he? I, I saw a little documentary with the uh, animator who, because you know, like in the tradition of how they did Bambi, they do all the audio kind of first. They gave him a bit of an idea of the story, gave him the script so he could like really lean into it and put all these weird little inflections in the words. And actually when you rewatch it and you think, he's he puts weird emphasis on different words and puts weird little lilts in places that you wouldn't normally expect and you can then see like the animator going like oh i've got so much to work with like and then it was a real kind of melding together because jeremy irons when he was like rewatched it was just like oh yeah i'm glad you picked up on those little things that i was putting in there yeah. you know and you matched those little beats that i was going for yeah. you know and you, that came through it's not like you just pruned all of those out so it was just a boring delivery
1: no he's he's probably the best voice actor in the whole thing although james L. Jones. He's our first to die, Mufasa. I mean,
0: James Earl Jones. In one of my notes that I wrote was like, has anyone sounded more like a giant lion than James Earl Jones in this movie? No, nobody. Ever. He's just got like a rumble to his voice that sounds like it's coming from a great big lion chest. Yeah, that's true. And that's why I think Matthew Broderick doesn't work as well because it doesn't sound like that's coming from a big, deep chest. It sounds like it's coming from a wimpy mid... 20s year
1: old man he would have been quite young broderick when he did it right it would have been yeah
0: he was pretty young and went in the dock that i saw i didn't know i don't know exactly how 30s young he was, maybe
1: he's 30 i'd
0: say i'd say late 20s yeah late 20s
1: early 30s. early 30s yeah it was a bit odd i think um donald glover was a better choice because donald glover's got higher voice but has a little bit of that depth I think so yeah for the new film but anyway how do you want to do this Tom do you want to talk about the scene shall we jump straight into the death scene
0: yeah I mean let's do super quick recap of how you've got here Simba's been born he's been shown his lands he's gone to an elephant graveyard where initially Scar was going to have him offed by the hyenas in part of his plan to take over Pride Rock and the the Pride Lands Um, that's fell on its ass a bit, so his plan B is, well, the first to die scene. He gets little Simba, takes him down to a gorge, Yep. where he tells him, well, kind of shames him into saying everyone's heard about what happened in that graveyard, maybe you need to practice on your roar a little bit, which also is just the worst part of it. He didn't need to do that, but he's basically made Simba believe that he starts what happens next.
1: Just, With the roaring, well, that's, that's just evil. That's smart, but that's just uh, he also for. said to Sim, uh, "I've got a, uh, something special for, between you and your dad." Yeah, like he, so he's, he he's leads down him there thinking big big his dad's good. Big time,
0: yeah. So you've got little Sim down there. He's uh, he's practicing his terrible little roars. Yeah. they're rubbish. Then you know he, he does a quite a good roar. It echoes around, and the ground starts rumbling. And then. We get i think we see from above that the hyenas have actually startled a big bunch of bison and they're all now heading towards the gorge and then suddenly we get a shot that apparently took three years in the making to actually put this whole sequence together um uh, one of the first sort of complex uses of cgi in an animation as well with the with these bison like charging into the gorge and then we see scar run and get mufasa and say stampede in the gorge Simba's down there. Simba's down there. Uh, which sends Mufasa into the fray. Should we just talk it through and then we can kind of roll back a little bit? Well, yes.
1: That's you it.
0: Know, so... Mufasa sees Simba clinging onto a branch. With the help of Zazu. Jumps down.
1: As well. Yep. yep. Oh, right, yeah. All right. Give Zazu Well, the Zazu's there. there. We have to acknowledge there's four, four characters in the gorge. There's Mufasa, Scar, Zazu, and Simba. Obviously, Scar's the evil plot maker. Zazu gets knocked out by Scar, who flicks him against a wall. And... As we are continuing the action, Mufasa's jumped into the gorge. Go ahead. Yeah,
0: he's, he's going to save little Simba. He does save him, manages to put him on a little high rock. Leaps onto a wall to try and scrabble out, Which at which point Scar reveals his villainous intent, digs his claws in, says, long live the king, and releases Mufasa, Mufasa who falls to his death, trampled by a billion bison, and we get a pretty awesome shot of him falling and then it panning out really quickly from Simba's. So pupil, I want
1: to talk about that. It's an amazing shot. I want to talk about uh, that. Yeah. Because there's two shots actually that. I don't know which one you're going to talk about the
0: dolly zoom, aren't you? Of
1: course, the Jaws shot. There's the Spielberg yeah. dolly zoom, which is wonderful because it's used in exactly the same way as it was in Jaws in the 70s, which is peril, fear, terror. Realization. Realization, exactly. And it's straight into the eyes, straight into the eyes. So you have that wonderful and his ears come down and the the jaw drops and it's like you can feel the tension and the terror and the, oh shit, stuff's going to go wrong now. And then you're absolutely right, we have the opposite almost without the the dolly, which is the very quick zoom out from Simba's eye as soon as Mufasa is actually hasn't even hit the the gorge floor. He's falling in slow-mo into the gorge um, and you hear Simba scream, no and it zooms straight out. And it's just, actually, the editing and the the way that it's directed and animated is very, very emotive. Well, it's
0: doing that almost classic horror thing of not showing the violence, but showing a reaction yeah. to the terror by instantly cutting to Simba, and it's in that cut that we then see, oh, my God, something really bad has happened because of his reaction tells us, like,
1: no. No, you know, dead.
0: Yeah, but it's interesting actually, with the use of that that dolly zoom. How there are, I was thinking it's quite interesting when you have basically camera tricks or camera movements in animated Animation, movies. Because yeah. there's a there's a shot at the beginning with uh, like the zebra is running along, and then the focus shifts to a little branch with the ants walking along it. There's no focus. There's no camera. Yep. But we kind of understand this language of cinema, and we take that into animated movies as well. And again, in that one single shot, we realise that this whole opening sequence is talking about the circle of life from the big to the small. It's all part of it. Mm-hmm. So it's just a beautiful little touch. Um, and then there's also, like, there's a dolly... I think it's called a dolly... It's not like it's a dolly zoom, but it's a dolly shot of just the rotating around Mufasa and Simba when they're talking on the top of Pride Rock, which, from an animation perspective, is a bloody hard thing to do a rotation around a character. While talk.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but, you know, they, they pull it off, and... it looks great. But I think these are all like camera movements that are f- use the language of you know traditional cinema, 70s cinema, um, and bring it into animation. It works really, really well. Yep, yep. I'm not going to do a Jake statement and say, I believe this might be the no, first time it definitely this wasn't. was done in an animated no. movie. But I just think it's always very cool when you're doing essentially what you need a camera to do, but there is no camera.
1: It's that language that you were talking about that we are so accustomed to for hundred, probably 100 years before... The Lion King came out, you know, there's been these tropes and, and established these relations between movement of camera and focus and how we're supposed to be feeling. So to, if you want a scene to feel a certain way, as you say, you know, the dolly zoom and the, and the very quick zoom out or pan out um, will have an a, a effect on the audience. Now, what I want to know, though, and this is taking things back to more of a baseline emotional level, do you remember how you felt when you first watched this film and Mufasa died?
0: Yeah, I do, because I was in the cinema with my best friend at the time and I was at because I'm a little bit older than you, I think I was at that age where you're trying to be a bit too cool for school, you know, you don't want to show emotion. I remember getting pretty cut up at that scene and trying to go like, Not gonna cry, not gonna cry, I'm gonna hold it together. And I managed to just get through that scene, but I remember it being pretty freaking sad yeah. and kinda of wanting to cry. Yeah. And it like it's it's one of those scenes that, a bit like, actually, never-ending story, where it's just so effective, it almost gets you every time. You almost kind of... It's like you're seeing it for the first time each time, because you're just like, oh, God, this is effective. Like,
1: yeah.
0: I even see like, like, just to roll it back to the opening scene, the circle of life, every time I watch that, in whatever format I watch it, and I've seen it in, on the stage, and I've seen the remake of it, it just always gets me. Even though I don't really like the remake, it still gets me.
1: So... I've written this down as a note on uh, my, my pad because I do have a few notes this, this time which is oh, great but one of the things that I was surprised when watching this again was just how many chills and goosebumps and emotional reactions I felt throughout the the film i don't give a damn about the love tonight and the the nala love scene just don't care about it yeah for me it's It's a bit too late in the day i think it's a bit too late in the day and it's also kind of very early preempted with the discussion with zazu and yeah it's it's and it's even worse than the new one the fucking um beyonce one is awful but anyway hey you know what's really bad about that though is they're singing can you feel the love tonight
0: and it's not even nighttime.
1: I know that's in the new one that's It's
0: the late afternoon. It doesn't <laughs> make any sense. Ridiculous.
1: But this one at least it's night. They they did do it smartly. Yeah. But uh, it's it's about the father and the son relationship, you know, and and obviously we we're both um male and we both have fathers, surprisingly. So, I think it it plays on those emotions a little bit and I was watching it the other night and it was um and this is way down the path when Simba has to walk up Pride Rock in the rain to claim yep. his uh throne and, and roar and the music and the swell. I was like, bloody hell. Uh, yes. Go for it, Simba. Get up there. So good. So good. <laughs> it is
0: amazing. The music, oh, the music is so good in it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's so beautiful. Beautifully it's so, done. Like, and you know, I mean who would have thought that like getting hands in obviously safe pair of hands. Mixed with a whole bunch of African influence plus some Elton John songs in there, it shouldn't have worked.
1: Were you do you get disappointed a little bit though when, um, the start of Love Tonight comes in with Timon and Pumbaa? It's Timon speaking kind of, um, lovely Nathan Lane doing kind well, of a, a, I
0: can see what's happening, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. What it's, it's stage, isn't it? Because Nathan Lane's a stage actor, he's, he's yeah. that's what he's from, he's from musicals, and it he's doing that kind of delivery and then it cuts to like a random female singer being like can you feel and i'm like stick elton in there there was this weird trend in the 90s during the renaissance for disney where a very famous person like phil collins or elton john or whoever would write a song for these movies and it would be wonderful but they would not be the ones performing it in the film I think actually it might still be happening with like things like Moana and stuff. I don't know, but it was. I'm like, just have Elton do it for fuck's sake.
0: Yeah, I I, I hear you. I, I mean, I, that song actually in particular was left out for ages, and Elton was pretty chuffed with it. And it was when he watched a cut of it, a few months before release, and he was like, "Where the hell is the song?" Yeah, you know. And then and then he was disappointed because it starts with Timon and Pumba singing it, and he's just like, "My, you know these." Freaking beautiful words and you've got like a warthog and a meerkat singing it. Yeah. But I think, you know, that, I think I sets the song up pretty well, but I don't know. I don't know why the decision to get a female vocal in as opposed to letting Elton... Maybe they thought it'd be too distracting because you'd be like, wait a minute, did this you think is it Elton was John. That, yeah. I'm still standing. <laughs> that cocaine, the, all the cocaine. The anyway,
1: yeah, maybe that was it. Maybe it was all the cocaine and the kids... You know. uh,
0: well, I mean, just going, going back to the beautiful James Earl Jones, I did a bit of research on... J E J. Yep. Uh, first movie role, 1964. Doctor Strangelove.
1: Really? That was so he's in a Kubrick film for his very first role.
0: Yeah, he did a bunch of TV stuff before that. He did a lot of stuff over the years, but um, that was his first role. It's pretty good first role.
1: It's a very good first role. Yeah, Doctor Strangelove. And
0: uh, I was doing some research around, and uh, this made me chuckle no end because um, if you ever look through IMDb, the little bios that are written for people. It's dubious where they come from.
1: Oh, yeah. At best. It's like Wikipedia.
0: No one, no one really knows. So uh, I, took, I took his bio from a line from, this, from IMDb and a line from Wikipedia. On IMDb, it says, Widely regarded as one of the greatest stage and screen actors, both in his native USA and internationally. Now, I mean, I love James Earl Jones. Don't get me wrong. Would you say that he's one of the greatest stage and screen actors no. internationally? No. No. No, I, I don't think I would. And I looked through that, that was written by Jadidi, who has written one bio, and that was for James Earl Jones.
1: Yeah, well, there you go.
0: Super uh, and the, fan. Uh, the one on Wikipedia was, uh, he has been described as one of America's most distinguished and versatile actors for his performances in film, theatre, and television. And I looked at the source of where that came from, and it was from the biography of James Earl Jones, called James Earl Jones Biography, by Rebecca Flint.
1: Right. So I was
0: like, I'm not really sure that's the best... The best source. But he
1: wouldn't have written that about himself in his biography. Somebody wrote the biography. Rebecca Flint wrote the biography and would have sourced. I I bet he was there. Well, he would have given approval, sure. Rebecca. Rebecca.
0: Maybe you should say. He's turning to Brian Blessed.
1: Rebecca. No, 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 no. Don't ruin this. Don't ruin this. We'll, we'll, We'll go into the other greatest deep baritone voice actors out there.
0: Will rank them John Rhys-Davies John Rhys-Davies Davies, just, just saying oh he's, he's a beautiful little, little why guy has
1: here. he not done any animated films I bet he has maybe he was in Fern Gully or something
0: he's probably been in that or Nomeo and Juliet
1: let's move on so
0: um, also James Earl Jones I forgot he's in Field of Dreams he's great oh, in Field of Dreams he does that remember. whole like speech in it where he's just like people will come from all around oh wait pay I think you 20 I bucks that. to sit by the you know blah blah blah, yeah. blah blah. he has like the whole speech and it's beautiful and I was like ah, oh, I need to watch Field of Dreams again
1: it's an emotional one it's another good one it is does anybody die well, let's in
0: round it? off the I don't think he does What does he yes he does he has like a heart attack doesn't he isn't he the, the first like playing...
1: to die in Field of Dreams
0: oh my god we might have to do Field we'll of have Dreams to check that out uh, okay right add it to the list um Anyway, let's round out the first-to-die scene, because it's not over yet. Okay. Because then you have then you have the real oh, fucking gosh, don't, knife twist. Don't do
1: this bit. It still hurts. I
0: mean, we've we just got to get through it. Okay, so, you know, cut to Simba then in the dust, oh, calling out for his father. He's lost. He doesn't know where he is. And then you, you know, see the shape of him in the mist clear. Simba goes over.
1: Tries to he wake him up.
0: Tries to wake him up, tugs on his ear like he does at the beginning to wake him up. I know. Gives him some little shoves.
1: Cruel. So cruel. And
0: And then you're like, all right, as if this couldn't get any worse right now. Then Scar turns up and he's like, Simba, what have you done? What have you done? Which is just like horrible because also by, you know, just jump ahead slightly. At the end of this scene, he's about to send the hyenas after to kill him. He's got no reason to be such a dick right now to Little Simba. It's true. The only reason is because essentially Simba's birth has stopped him from being king. Yes. So I think so he hates Little
1: Simba. Yeah, even though that's a bit unfair. Yeah. So he's twisting the knife. You know, he wants to. He wants to hurt Simba for what's happened. But yeah, it's uh, it's not a nice moment. You your your heart breaks for for the kid trying to revive his stamp stamped trampled trampled his trampled stamped? father. Yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible. I mean, I remember when I was a kid being a little bit confused about why Scar tells him to run and t- takes this moment to talk to him and torture him and then says run and then immediately afterwards just says kill him. Cuz you'd assume, well, why don't they just why doesn't he just kill him there and then? There's nobody seeing.
0: I think it's classic villain, isn't it? You twist villain. the knife and yeah. then you give him a bit of hope, dangle a carrot of hope and then Take it away, but yeah. they don't
1: take it away because he escapes. Does because of all the thorns and yeah, that's the death scene, and we never see Mufasa alive again. But we do see Mufasa again.
0: Well, he does come back in the the second most emotional bit of the whole thing, which is uh, when he comes back and tells him to remember me.
1: Remember who you are. It, it's not remember me. Uh, yeah,
0: remember who you are. Well, you know, just
1: remember. Give him a little pet talk. Who Although you I, I know when, are. like
0: when I watch the animated version doesn't really get me that much it's it's obviously a nice moment but in the theater version they have the whole song like he lives in oh you that's
1: right here. they do and it's so
0: beautiful and it's so like that's well true. staged yeah. and you have these people walking around on stage with these like shapes on sticks i forgot about like, the he lives in is. you being
1: like a much bigger deal in the theater version than it is in the movie it's nice in the movie but you're right it's not it's it's just um from rafiki kind of really drumming it into him it's a nice moment though
0: it is nice, it's, well, it's obviously well staged, well animated, it looks beautiful, it serves purpose, but in the theatre version, oh, yeah. I've seen it a few times now, always gets me.
1: I've only seen it once, so I mentioned this to, the, to you the other day, I, I wonder if The Lion King is the only story that I've seen on stage, I've seen it animated, and I've seen what they call a live-action film you know others come close you know uh, stories of Macbeth and things of course i've seen on stage and i've seen in film but not animated so it's quite i think it stands alone for me i'm sure there's others out there but uh yeah
0: pretty cool Yeah, for the ones i personally have seen that's probably the same yeah, yeah. i've seen it a few times because i'm trash anyway moving on let's talk about influences on this movie just for a brief moment let's te- let's step aside because there are a few obvious influences on this Bambi for one we talked about that when we talked when we were talking about Bambi how you know even the the writers of the Lion King were like yeah we were clearly influenced by this especially in the fact that the Lion King started off with a sort of documentary vibe to it apparently it wasn't really supposed to be this big old musical number and that's why actually the first director left because when they started turning it into a musical he was like this is not for me I signed up to do a cool little documentary-esque animation-y thing, and this is not it. Okay. Um, so there's a bit of Bambi in there. There's also quite a lot of Hamlet in there. which it's a hell of a lot again, of Hamlet they're, in they're, there. Yep. They're very open about that. They're, they're not hiding that. A mm. um, bit, bit of the Bible, you know, for good measure. But then maybe there's a bit of the Bible in Hamlet, so maybe that's more of a connection there. Now, the biggest one that I wanted to talk about is this whole thing around Kimba the White Lion, which I don't know if you've ever heard of the whole Kimba the White Lion thing, in that there are plenty of videos on YouTube where they do like scene-by-scenes comparisons to The Lion King and a Japanese anime from the 60s called Kimba the White Lion. And they show a whole bunch of scenes that look almost like for like and put together this whole thing of like, it's a complete rip-off of this movie. Even the fact that like Kimba sounds like Simba, even though Simba is Swahili for lion. yeah, But uh, that's completely irrelevant in their minds because it's just pretty similar. Now, it's weird because I, I remember hearing about this back when I was in school like it's been around for ages this whole thing that it's it's a complete rip-off and there's all these side-by-side comparison shots but it's quite funny because there's a really good video on YouTube I can't remember who did it now but it's about two hours long and I did watch it because I'm that guy yep. but it basically just talked about how Kimber the White Lion is about 3,000 minutes of anime series from the 60s all the way through to the 90s like l- literally hours and hours and hours of content of this little white lion in a jungle getting up to adventures and yeah if you troll through all of that footage you are likely to find scenes that kind of match the lion king and if you put them together in a way side by side it would look like you'd be like look at this complete ripoff yeah. or you could have made a liking movie that is completely different and involved avalanches and fights with tigers and blah 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 and you could probably have done the same thing with footage from kimber the white lion because Kimber the White Lion was insane. They did all sorts of crazy shit in that thing. Like, at one point in Kimber, there's a blind man who goes fighting a pack of cheetahs, and he fights them with grenades. There's a bunch of tanks that genocide, like, basically commit genocide on a pack of elephants by blowing them up and then burying them in a gorge. Okay. Uh, Kimber goes to Paris to the World Fair at one point. Oh. Like, he fights a flying tiger with wings. Like... There's crazy stuff in it. So it's not like someone watched the entirety of that and went, hmm, no. I'm going to distill this down to its essence and turn it into The Lion King. No, in absolutely. Fact, like the, most, the, the funny thing is, a lot of the shots that people drew uh, side by side and be like, look how much of a rip-off this is, are, are from actually a, um, a Kimba movie from 1997, three years after The Lion King came off. In fact, Kimba was actually ripping off The Lion King. So it's a whole thing.
1: It's a whole thing, but actually it's, it's such a patchwork of other stories as well. Like I, when I was doing research, there was like a couple, there was a couple of African stories that it was based on as well. One was an Egyptian story. The Epic of Sundiata. I think so. You that? Sundiata. That was, the, a, the, that,
0: was, that was a Mali, a Mali empire that's story.
1: That's right. An Epic of Old Mali, that's right. Sundiata, which means the Lion King, that's the direct translation, is about a young prince that's banished from his homeland. After his father dies, so yep. it's and, a bunch of and, stories. You know, you know,
0: there are there are tropes in this from all sorts of stories to get to sort of start saying like, oh no, one property before that particularly owns it is ridiculous because it's just like these are just storytelling tropes. It goes back to um, like the Joseph Campbell monomyth, you know, the hero with a thousand faces, basically like you know Joseph Campbell put together a a structure that pretty much. <laughs> all stories follow this yeah. structure. Like, and it's what George Lucas read and then went, right, I'm just going to write Star Wars and I'll follow this pattern. And that's why when you watch it, you go, yeah, this feels right. Because we've basically felt the rhythm of that story through all of the history of t- storytelling.
1: You've said Star Wars, and I want to take this moment to just quickly dip into a couple of thoughts I had about The Lion King and Star Wars, of course, yeah. the connecting fabric is James Earl Jones, because, yeah. as we know quite famously, when it comes to James Earl Jones's voice, there are two characters, Mufasa, and Darth Vader. Now, a couple of things: they're both fathers in their respective stories. Yeah, one of them with a, you know, obviously some effects, and it's through the sound of a you know that type of thing but it's still very recognisably James L. Jones but it's incredibly sinister it's not warming it's not nurturing it's evil right but Mufasa is incredibly kind of nurturing and lovely and wonderful and fatherly and all this kind of stuff so massive credit to to James L. Jones for that and the work that he's done and, and how cool it is that a guy's voice can be used in such different ways and different characters The second thing I wanted to know about Star Wars and The Lion King was when we were doing the Rafiki moment um, right after he says, um, he is alive, follow me, and I will show you. Because I realised, I was like, this is very similar to kind of the Yoda character in Star Wars teaching Luke about kind of accepting his father by dragging him through a dark experience to then reveal his father's face. Like in Star Wars, it was the whole lightsaber battle in the cave, right? That Yoda, who also speaks in a weird way, like Rafiki, and by the way, I'm not saying that Rafiki's accent is weird, that I'm not trying to be racist here. What I'm saying is Rafiki is, in the grand scheme of the film, the one with the strong accent that nobody else has. Everybody else in the film, for some reason, is English or American. We should touch on that in a minute, because that is fucking Mm. weird. But... These two scenes are so... I, I, was, I was shocked while I was watching. I was like, oh, shit, this is kind of odd. Like, obviously, there's no real connection there. But what was... I just enjoyed making these little links in my head and being like, oh, you know, Yoda, Rafiki, Simba, Luke, Mufasa, Vader. And, yeah, of well, course, Mufasa know, and Vader, both James Earl Jones. Kind of cool. They, they,
0: there are those links because that goes back to the Joseph Campbell monomyth cycle there so go. there are stages to this to the to the arc right and i wrote them down just because you it. can see them how they apply to the linking okay now there's different there are different interpretations of this different levels and names but this is the one i just grabbed off off the internet so there is call to adventure supernatural aid then threshold then challenges and temptations mm-hmm. then revelation brackets atonement with father yep. then transformation atonement, return, and then that's the story. Yeah. So those beats you can apply to all sorts of different stories. And that's supernatural aid. In Lion King is Rafiki. In Star Wars, it's Yoda. In so many other stories, there is a quirky supernatural aid that comes and helps them on a part of their journey.
1: Again, it's great that you've mentioned this because one of the other things that I, I noted about the Lion King and Rafiki in particular is, as a character, you never question what his role is. They don't they don't sit there and say he is the spiritual kind of guru-esque leader of the pride lands. He's the one you watch it and you you know. Obviously yeah. he does the, the ceremony and everything, but you know that's who he is. Uh, I'll tell
0: you I tell you why, you know that. It's because the first time he's introduced, he's backlit by the sunlight. So he's given a holy order. He's he's shot that and, and as he walks along the other animals are kneeling towards him. And he has his, like, little stick cane, which is obviously kind of a, you know, kind of common in ritualistic practices and priests to have some sort of cane or stick or staff. So I think from that opening shot, we're led to believe, ah, this guy is is an important deal. This guy's a big deal. And then you see him, you know, performing this weird ceremony on Simba and instantly like, okay, so he's... He's that priest. He's that holy man, yeah. essentially.
1: It's great, though. He's a really good character. I really like him in the film. And the moment where he smells Simba and, and puts the mane on the illustration is, like, a favourite. I really enjoy that. It's interesting that he is the only one in the film with an African accent. For some reason, everyone else is American or English.
0: Yep. And that's still relatively true to the remake as well. I know they cast more black actors, but they're still black american actors yeah
1: yeah which is actually i think what's nice about the stage show because that yes, does feel it. like it's a lot more authentic when it comes to the voices of african people and and characters and there is as you say more songs that feel like they bring a lot more of that in there so but as a as a you know an ip as a piece of uh, intellectual property uh the lion king has done incredibly well it's endured for so long,
0: it stands up, and I think I think the fact you can put it into stage show, you can put it into a photoreal esque sort of documentary style film, and it holds up is testament to the strong story that it's got, and the bloody catchy songs in it that you yeah. can't help but just bop along to. You can can't do anything with those songs.
1: Top top enjoyed. song top song in the Lion King. What is it? Be prepared. Oh wow, be prepared. Okay, for me, it's the Circle of Life for sure.
0: I mean, yeah, that.
1: But then that they don't is... they don't sing the circle of life. Every all the other songs no, I mean, are the sung by of life characters. Is
0: great. That's my favourite scene in the whole movie because of that song, but married with the visuals. I just think for the best sing-along catchy song is Be Prepared. I am it's not
1: so camp. I'm not a huge lover of Akuna Matata. that's no, rubbish. I'm not. I'll tell you what I don't like about Hakuna Matata,
0: just on that, that point. I don't like the fact that they're basically saying like, oh, just, just, don't, just don't feel those things. Yeah. Just forget about it. You know, and it's not a very healthy message. No, I don't think they get away with Especially that Especially with everything that he has been through. He needs to talk that shit out. Like,
1: yeah I mean, he
0: needed someone to be like, dude, that totally wasn't your fault. Like, you know, but he just carries that guilt with him.
1: And it defines him. And actually, if Nala had not found him on her hunting escapades, then the whole pride would have died yeah because of because the, he didn't deal with his problems ah here's another thing the hyenas get a bum deal in this film they're painted out to be stupid scavenging evil characters every single one of them whereas in real life actually hyenas are a lot more nurturing as a pack to others they're much less likely to kill their own and they are not the scavengers that many believe they are because of this film. Actually, lions are often the ones, sometimes more often the ones, stealing kills from hyenas rather than the other way around.
0: Well, that makes sense and I'm sure you probably found this in your research as well that hyena research sued Disney for defamation of character.
1: I didn't know that.
0: Did you not? Oh yeah, so they so so this this researcher tried to sue Disney. For the portrayal of the hyenas in the movie.
1: Sue Disney for the hyenas. What were they going to use the money for? Like, just to give the money to the hyenas? Crisps. Crisps. They do love crisps. I'll give you that. Right, I'm looking at my notes now, Tom. I'm going through them because I have some. One of them is, Mufasa is a badass. That's it. Oh, yeah. He's the OG. I like him. I like him when he's telling his son to uh, stalk Zazu in a very funny way. He has a wonderful laugh. And I think that's the other thing that why Matthew Broderick's doesn't quite stand up as well, because the way that James Earl Jones plays it and is delivered, it's really warming, it's really natural, it's really fatherly, and you instantly love his character because of that. And it is that oh, scene. So much warmth. Yeah.
0: Everyone wants Mufasa as a dad, oh, don't everyone. they? Everyone He's like the perfect Mufasa, dad.
1: dad. It's like So, which is why when you watch it, it's like your dad dies. In, your your lion dad dies.
0: I know. I mean, ultimately, he was going to have to die at some point for him to succeed to be king. But he barely got to
1: even know him. I know. So, what else have I got in here? Let's have a little look. I have.
0: Hey, I tell you what. Why are you, why are you finding something?
1: Yeah, go on. The song at the beginning, you know,
0: the circle of life with the uh, African uh, chant at the beginning. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Did you see the actual, uh, the the translated lyrics for that? Go on. Okay. Here comes a lion, father. Oh yes, it's a lion. A lion we're going to conquer. A lion, a lion, and a leopard come to this open place.
1: A leopard? Where's the leopard? I don't know.
0: Isn't there a leopard at the beginning? Or is that a cheetah? I don't know. Oh, I think so,
1: but like, they're talking about a lion. You wouldn't just throw in something you saw. Oh look, there's a water bottle. Back to the lion. I mean...
0: It, it i mean i don't think it's i mean it sounds beautiful in the thing but i also saw someone once on tweet uh, on on the old on twitter saying uh you know everyone actually just mangling that intro that's in swahili and it's a beautiful language and you're all mangling it so please stop singing oh to that Oh my god song. and i was like all right sorry that i enjoy The sound of that music and want to sing along because I love it. It's not like I'm going, I'm mocking it, going, oh, look at these people with their silly voices. Not at all. I'm I'm like, we're singing, it's beautiful. We
1: can, you know, and fuck that. Like, if somebody from uh, a non English speaking language country decided to sing. You know, uh, one of our. Coldplay. Great. No, I was. See, this is what I was trying to avoid. In my <laughs> head, for some reason, I had Madonna. I'm like, Madonna is not a good songwriter and her music is. Ed Sheeran. Just, stop doing this. Stop it. No. <laughs> Ronan Keating. Let's say the Beatles. Thank you very much. Luke. So let's say that um, yesterday, you know, yesterday, all my troubles seems so. Uh, far away what if somebody from I don't know China or Japan were trying to sing that and they're just mnemonically singing it they're singing it from the sounds and it doesn't sound quite right I would never turn to them and be like um actually I think you find that's really offensive towards myself and my native culture of English speakers how dare you sing that song fuck off Enjoy the song. Enjoy the song. Enjoy the the vibe and the culture and the wonderful. Like try to learn about it and what it means. And we just said it. We just we just translated it. So, take that, fucking white night Twitter little shits.
0: Yeah, I know that's the problem. Is white night Twitter is is more the problem here. It is. My my friend from uh, who was French used to say that they would call it uh, what was it? The, like, singing with yogurt in your mouth was. Their way of singing English songs when they had no idea what the lyrics okay, were. Yeah. So they would just make these sounds. But they loved it because they were just singing along with the songs. I
1: do that with English songs as well. Half of the time I <laughs> don't know what the lyrics are, so I make them up myself. I'll tell you what, though, I, I wonder with, like, in the, in the stage
0: show of The Lion we're talking about how they, they lean into the African side a lot more. And uh, Rafiki is kind of like this, this sort of big tribal woman. She got, like, Which is great. lovely, colorful clothes. Played for comic relief as well. I'd be really curious to know. If that comedy translates, I would hate to feel like we are laughing at this funny black person making strange little sounds. But it's played for comedy, so I, would, I really hope that that's a universal comedy as well. You know that, and it's, it's you know, it's not actually we're not going to look back on it in ten years time and be like, oh, actually, that well, it's been problematic.
1: 1994, so we're ne- we're coming up to 30 year. Oh my God, we're coming up to 30 years of Lion King. That's not okay. That's not okay at all. That's not okay. And it hasn't aged poorly. So I think we've probably passed it. Although I have to say, you know, things keep popping up now recently where it's like, "Oh, yep, yeah, can't really do that anymore. That's not okay." And we did that back then and we thought it was okay, but actually no, that's not okay. I don't know. I think there are times when that is super appropriate. I think we talked about it before on this podcast where it's like, yes, we need to, we need to own up to some of those mistakes. And there are times where, and we can say this because we're millennials, Tom, and, and we're just not woke enough for the Gen Z generation who, who believe that you know, <laughs> none of this is okay. Sometimes it's just um, sensitivity gone mad, really. Sometimes it's just too much safe space, too much sensitivity.
0: Well, I think you were right in saying that a lot of time it's White Knight Twitter where you're like, I don't actually know if you're the offended party. You're just getting offended on behalf of someone. I'm like offended, um, and, I'm, and I think if it is the offended party airing a general grievance or problem, I will 100% listen and try and change and, and learn. But when it's just someone being offended on someone else's behalf, I get a little bit like, well, I don't actually yeah. is this a problem? I, I find that a bit strange. Yeah. Anyway, going back to the Lion King and Mufasa. James Earl Jones, again, wasn't the first choice. Oh. But he was, you know, there were some others in the running for Tell it. Tell me. Sean Connery.
1: Oh. I mean, I'm glad it went to James Earl Jones. It makes way more, uh, uh, you know, sense. But Sean would have been brilliant. Imagine that. God rest Shamba. his soul.
0: Everything that, like, touches us, yours.
1: Um, also, big Liam Neeson. No, no. Imagine that. No, I can't. I Scar. mean, it would have been weird having you. a Scottish uh, Mufasa,
0: And, and Nor- Northern Ireland.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mufasa. An Irish Mufasa would have been a little he bit. He wouldn't have weird. died, though, would he? No, he would have come back and and he would have he would have taken Scar out all and of and those bloody gazelles. I will. Find gazelles. You. I will find
0: and then he you. would have hunted Scar down across the Pride Lands. Yeah,
1: Jesus. Well, that's interesting. I can see why they really did want somebody with that deep voice, those dulcet tones.
0: I think so. Yeah. I mean, ah, oh, it's just perfect. Also, a little thing that I, I found, which I thought. Uh, Please say
1: that again. What's
0: my Alexa talking to me?
1: Oh, Alexa, no.
0: That James Earl Jones, Mufasa, and Madge Sinclair, who voices Saribi, his wife, are the king and queen in Coming to America. Which yes, they realize. are. They're already played that's kings nice and little queens little to who are married.
1: Yeah, that's true. So that's good. Um, you, I had two points in my head, Tom. Um, yeah. And you said yours, and now mine are gone. So thanks for okay, that. Well, I feel like yeah, you stole. Only, uh,
0: I know, I, I stormed in and, and snatched some thoughts. Because um, one of
1: them was the fact that uh, The Lion King was the B project of 1994, was, yeah. or 1993, when it was, well, probably actually 1991 or whatever it was started on. Because Pocahontas was, of course, released the same year. And that was the A project with all the best animators and, the you know, uh, the creme de la creme at Disney. And, of course, The Lion King became their best and most successful animated film of all time, accounting for inflation. Uh, Frozen kind it of It's
0: still the highest grossing for a hand-drawn movie. Yes, for 2D, Evs. yeah. Uh, but for, for general box office, uh, yeah, Frozen snatched that title recently. Uh, it's interesting, you know, you know, I love talking about budgets. $45 million budget made a billion at the box office.
1: Yeah, that's a lot. A
0: billion. And then they also made an additional billion from merchandising.
1: Of course they did. And then re-releases as well. Lots of money on there. And of course, they yeah. the, the stage show is also Disney's. So they would have made... Still going. Fuck Plus sequels. Have you seen any of the sequels? I have not seen any of the sequels, funnily enough. When I was a kid, for some reason, I knew that straight-to-video VHS sequels to my favourite films were not proper films. I was like, no, it's not, I was it's the not same. a true film. Not into it.
0: They were like some sort of bootleg knockoff. Yeah,
1: yeah. I would not and then buy we'd it. Spoil the canon. I I genu- that's exactly who, my my fear. I cared about these stories so much, and particularly, I mean, I was obsessed with Simba as a kid. Obsessed. My parents could account for this. You know, I wanted all the toys. I was completely besotted with having him as a like a companion, a close friend, and all this kind of stuff. And but you know, I was seven or six. You know, when that happened. So of course. But uh, I would not allow any story to tarnish that beautiful telling of the Lion King.
0: Oh well, I think I think you do right because I haven't seen the second one, but I've seen the third one. That was trash. Well, is that
1: the one and a half one? Yeah, it's sort of from uh, retold from Timon's perspective.
0: So there's there's like a whole bunch of scenes kind of going on in the background with Timon sort of doing stuff in, you know, like, his little bit of story. So, like, the you have the I-can't-wait-to-be-king sort of stuff going on and Timon walking around going, like, why is everything a different colour? So, it's kind of funny, but it just doesn't really work.
1: Yeah, out. it's just a bit pointless. But then a lot of people loved Simba's Pride.
0: That's the second one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah.
1: they love the other characters. But, no, I haven't seen them and I won't see them. I think I'm a bit dumb. Yeah.
0: and you've seen the remake? They, obviously I did they, see obviously the remake. John Fav. HD. I love John Favreau. I think
1: he's wonderful. I think he's done some incredible stuff. And I did enjoy The Jungle Book. But when it came to The Lion King, no. I didn't. I
0: felt like it was a bizarre creative exercise. I don't know why it exists in the world.
1: I don't think it did anything. It didn't add anything. It was exactly the same film done in live, live action CGI. I just, and we've talked about this, the problem I have with that is that the expression of the animals is, is lost. There's none of that anthropomorphized ability that you can have in cartoon, 2D, hand-drawn animation. And therefore, it just kind of looks a little bit weird.
0: It's just some flat-faced animals yeah. just saying lines at each other. But they're also talking like humans, which is weird, and singing. So that's intrinsically odd Very to start odd. with. And there, wasn't, yeah, there and was
1: I... not enough Donald Glover in the new one. There just wasn't. I'm sorry. It's Donald I mean, fucking Glover, there's, there's not enough.
0: There's not enough Donald Glover in There's not enough movies. Donald
1: Glover in anything. That man is legend. He's
0: perfect. No, I, 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 I... You know what I don't like about it as well is the fact I find just even the cinematography of it quite flat. Yes, it looks beautiful. If it was a documentary about animals, you'd be like, it's very nice, but I'm not here to watch a documentary about animals. I want something cinematic. You know, I want, I want the lighting to look dramatic and the colours to be rich. I want them to be expressive and emotive. I want them to sing. Yeah. I can't wait to be king and believe it. Well, um, you would have been very I...
1: upset because um be prepared was a spoken word poem in the new I version. I was. That was that was particularly egregious. Yes. That was not great. I've remembered my other point, Tom.
0: Okay. Hit me.
1: I believe this is the second time and it's only happened in this season, and I think this is a follow on directly from Ghost, where our first to die returns in Ghost form.
0: That is true. Yeah, I think, yeah, we obviously Ghost. Um, so Patrick yeah.
1: Swayze and James Earl Jones got their own little subsector on first to dies there. their yeah, first to dies that also come back and have a little chat.
0: The only other one... Who's he who didn't come back as a ghost, but came back fully formed? Was uh, Artax in Neverending Story? Oh wait a minute, That's though. That's first
1: one. I've... Wait a minute. Oh. Ringu, is she a ghost?
0: Yeah, but the first to die doesn't come back.
1: Oh, you're right. She doesn't die in the canon of the film. She's the she's the killer in the, she's canon of the film. She's
0: already dead. So she's yeah, no. Died. I think we're still into our subset of in one little corner of our party, there is a table. And it's got Mufasa sat at it, and Patrick Swayze. I want to and go I over would to that. Sit at that table. I, want I would to sit that table
1: there and have a chat with those guys. Imagine I want that to, being you know, squashed Patrick between Swayze Patrick topless. Swayze
0: on one side. Yeah, just just you know, in his in his kind of covered in clay,
1: topless, yeah, topless. And then Mufasa's and then wonderful the mane. Side, Mufasa, where I bury my face. And just, just
0: in his big rumbling dark voice,
1: come here. Oh,
0: yeah, oh, perfect wow what, a, what a beautiful note to start probably wrapping up on unless you've got any yeah, other that was fact it. bombs that you want to hit me with there's no I more fact bombs think... you can hit
1: me if you want but I actually think that that was a, a rather lovely uh, conversation about uh, the biggest animated film of my childhood and something that I think I, I hope kids still will go back to the original animated 1994 version in its glorious 4K remastered oh it know. holds
0: up like 100% so 100% just just get go there watch it oh I've seen it in the IMAX as well that's another format I've seen this movie wow
1: that's pretty cool actually what we've got to keep kids safe from nowadays and I will make this my mission is not to see what uh, Matthew Broderick now looks like because that will ruin their lives
0: yeah don't do it don't do
1: it save yourself yeah anyway all right well Tom it was a pleasure I think it was a uh traumatic first death but a wonderful film, and ultimately, in the end, uplifting. So let's go out on a positive note, and uh, I will chat to you about death and movies and firsts very soon.
0: All right, well, until that beautiful time, I'm going to throw the ball back into your court for next time, and you can pick another movie, and let's talk about that. I'm excited. Same time next week.
1: Let's do it. All right, I I will see you then, sir.
0: Adios, Jake. Goodbye. Jake, I have questions about that thing you said, corrections about a point you made, and notes about that assumption you um, assumed. Uh, where can I send these?
1: Ah, my friend. You need to head over to firsttodie.co.uk and send me a message there. Or you can email me directly at podcast at And what if I just want to be in the know about upcoming pods, trivia
0: tidbits, and want to give you a small like now and again?
1: Social media is the place for you. We're on Twitter and Instagram. That's uh, at firsttodiepod.
0: And what if I wanted to stalk you over several days till one day you wake up and I'm sat on the end of your bed just watching you sleep?
1: Okay, I don't appreciate that. I'm out.